Today we're visiting with Dr. Ray Garcia. He's the medical director at Rosecrans's Harrison campus. And also Dan DeGrice is here. He's the director of the Rosecrans Florian program. Dr. Garcia, welcome again. Thank you again. It's great to be here. And Dan DeGrice is the director of the Rosecrans Florian program. What's the Florian program, Dan? Well, Florian actually stands for patron saint of firefighters, but the program itself, that's just the title, is a program designed specifically for uniformed service personnel. So frontline workers, firefighters, police officers, veterans, nursing, uh, EMS personnel, um, that you're, population. You're the director of that, and you were a firefighter yourself, right? Here I was in Chicago for 30 years. Yeah. What did you do as a firefighter? Uh, everything and anything. Yeah, went up the ranks all the way up to battalion chief. My last seven years, and um, loved every minute of it. Are all firefighters EMTs then as well, or not necessarily? Presently, yes. Uh, especially in Chicago, they're either an EMT, B, basic, or a paramedic. So when we talk about first responders, we think of firefighters, we think of police officers, EMTs, but really firefighters are are both the EMTs and fighting fires as well. Correct. So as an EMT, you would provide emergency medical assistance to people, that sort of thing. Yeah, 80% of the fire service really is uh, EMS. No kidding. So then the Florian program specifically is there for uniformed officers, military, because why? Why why do we need to segregate them from the rest of the population? Well, it's unique is that uh, if we had some candid conversations is that there's a 30 years of experience of myself and many other people is that we see stuff on TV, you know, people, general population will see stuff on TV about police and fire, but we actually live it. We experience it every day. And uh, for example, we probably hear that people are overdosing every single day, right? And uh, unfortunately, in 2021 uh, is the first time that over 100,000 people have overdosed. And uniform service personnel have to respond to that. Um, where, the question is, is where do we go to have that conversation about what we see on a daily basis? Yeah, I could see how those experiences would be unique. But Dr. Ray, is it unusual to sort of, um, I'll say, segregate one group of patients care from the rest of the population? Do you do this with other disciplines? Uh, yes. Uh, actually, uh, treating special populations is is a regular part of uh, medical care in general, not just in uh, substance use and, uh, and mental health disorders. So uh, uh, I think this is a natural fit um, that uh, we're providing a specialized service for people who are in specialized circumstances. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I guess 2020 and 2021, for that matter, were just remarkably challenging then. Did you see an uptick in people reaching out to you all? I think we're breaking the stigma a bit. I think there's people out there in all uh, ages and careers that are talking about uh, mental health and uh, substance use and how those intertwine in a, in a co-occurring action. And so when I don't see anybody talking about it, we're not going to discuss it. We're not going to step forward. When we have people in our profession that are willing to talk about that, we're more apt to probably reach out and ask for help. We're you know, breaking that stigma. To talk about what? Uh, substance use, uh, the, the disorder itself, uh, symptomology, uh, mental health. I don't necessarily say mental illness because we all have mental health and we all have some sort of symptomology. 
but we don't want to show ourselves as weak. So where do we talk about that when we're sleep-deprived and not feeling well? Yeah, and I think it must be just uh, – every profession is unique, but if you're a firefighter, if you're a police officer, if you're serving in the military, but let's just keep it to the sort of civilian corps here in the Chicago area, it just seems to me like on a good day, your job has stresses most of us just don't imagine. Fair enough? Fair yeah, uh, and so maybe there was already, Doctor Ray, a need for a Florian program. Now let's introduce COVID to the world. How did that impact the men and women that are out there? What did you hear? What was your experience here? Well, I could tell you when I've asked was asked back when it first started in March of 2019 is that uh, our men and women in all uniform service positions were going to respond because that's what we do. And they did well. But what happens is is there's a fatigue factor over time when there's not hope that things will change. And now we're two years into it. And I know the Chicago Fire Department have, has lost four members to COVID uh, across the nation even more. And that's the general population. I mean, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. So that has had an, a fatigue factor. And we still don't know the end of that. So when you're out in the cold and you know you're going to go back inside, you could kind of push forward. When you're outside and it's cold out and you don't know when you're going to go back inside, you struggle a lot more. Outside? You mean literally physically outside fighting a fire or tending to a crash or some sort of emergency medical response? Not only that, I was kind of using that as an analogy, no, but wanted, in a yeah. sense of the, the, the pandemic is when is it over? We know with the Spanish flu, it was about two years. Uh, we're at that two-year mark. So do people get angry then, too? I, I wonder if that's one of the emotions that starts to well up. Are they shorter of temper? Are <laughs> they a little more hostile? Um, so the people can't see me smiling. Uh, y- yes, it's, it's not because I'm laughing at it. It's just that, uh, yes, there, there's so much coming at uh, the individuals, both at home, finances, overtime, uh, overdoses, uh, restrictions, uh, masks, compliance, uh, fires in itself, uh, all that stuff, it's, it kind of gets overwhelming. And I wonder what was the root of that? Was it going out into a world where you didn't know what the virus was going to be like, or you did and you didn't see people doing enough to protect themselves? I, I wonder where the focus of that was. Was it just the unknown, or was it, oh, I, this, is a, this is a COVID patient, and I have to come face-to-face with them, doggone it. This is, uh, this is another level of danger for me that I didn't used to have to deal with. Well, I could tell you it's something new, and I'd love to hear what Dr. Garcia has to say, but talking to some of the nursing uh, staff that have come into our program and had to deal with uh, strictly a COVID unit, and the, the guidelines ha- have developed and have changed and the safety factor of not knowing what is safe and finding out that maybe in the past it wasn't as good gets kind of frustrating and where do you voice that where do you voice that that's been yeah that's that's been the challenge is is how to continue to adapt to a constantly evolving you know uh data uh data bank you know all, all this information just keeps changing sometimes on a daily basis but not weekly and uh, and uh, how does one you know wrap their heads around that and 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 be able to continue to provide the adequate care a- in a safe way while protecting yourself 
So I could see a firefighter, say, throwing their hands up, saying, well, what the hell? You know, what now? I mean, this is not what you told us to do last time. Now you want me to do this time? There has been some complacency, some resistance by uniformed responders to some of the COVID protocols, maybe for this reason, because it's been changing, and they're the ones that have been in harm's way. I think the understanding, again, I work in a facility now that's mandated to wear a mask. Uh, It's not mandated to... uh, get the, the the covid shot but i know in a lot of municipalities they're being told not only to follow the protocol but they have to take they have to get the shot and let's be honest is no one likes to be told what to do we try to find follow the guidelines and um it's still as dr garcia mentioned the unknown is a bit frustrating for everybody in, involved what is the right decision so, Doctor, then you have, I guess, patients who have high anxiety now, who are maybe angry now, who might be falling into uh, drugs or substance abuse or maybe just uh, some sort of um, um, uh, mental breakdown. Um, something happens. Uh, talk a little bit about that, Dr. Garcia. How does then this manifest itself? Well, uh, certainly, yes, you, you mentioned substance use. I think that's a, a given that uh, there has been an increase in use of alcohol and, and other, as well as other drugs, but also, um, you know, it, it affects relationships. Um, you know, uh, I think sometimes when you have that, uh, uh, you know, that stress and that sometimes anger and frustration, and, uh, you know, it can be very hard to leave it at the door at times, and uh, and that can certainly affect your relationship with your your loved ones, your partners, your spouse, your children. Yeah, but what does it look like? So guys are drinking on or off the job or using some substance on or off the job. But I'm also interested in, in gals, too. I'm also wondering about the mental health aspect of it. What does that look like? How does that present itself, doctor? Uh, certainly seeing more cases of anxiety in general. Um, I, this is a shared trauma experience, I think, for, for many of us. And uh, so certainly we're seeing more symptoms of PTSD in a, in a population that already is at risk for that with, you know, the repeated traumas that uh, they already see on a typical basis. I mean, <laughs> uh, the average police officer sees about 188 critical incidents throughout their career. Um, so now we're throwing in this kind of, uh, you know, this trauma. Um, and, uh, you know, people... Uh, people are having more panic attacks. People are having problems sleeping. And uh, those are the kind of things that, well, how else are you going to try to uh, relieve it quickly? But, uh, you know, unfortunately, people are turning to things like alcohol and drugs to try to get relief quickly. Do they talk about it at the firehouse or at the precinct? Do they say, man, this is really hard? Or, boy, yesterday sucked. I don't know how I'm going to get through today. Are there conversations like that? Or maybe not? I don't know. Well, I'm two years removed from the firehouse. I could tell you this is that the amount of people that are retiring or leaving the job is significantly higher. I think I just listened to somebody in California that became the police chief, and their retirement rate is twice, if not three times, the rate of before. If you look at the FOP, and I get their uh, monthly uh, newsletter, uh, we're seeing people retire with 20 and 21 and 22 years. When when my dad was on, you stayed till 32. I stayed on till 29, but we're seeing people retire when they can retire at, at age 50 with 20 years of service just because of the added stress. 
I do want to say that one good thing is, uh, at least one good thing is, uh, through the work of people like Dan, actually, uh, there has been an increasing uh, amount of uh, peer support that's available. Um, yeah, you know, in the police and fire services, and so people are actually able to reach out to their peers um, in a sort of a more unofficial capacity, or maybe even more official capacity through these peer support services, so that they can share their experiences and and get some help. Hmm. When they reach out to you in the flooring program, what do they say? Do they um, how do they explain themselves? when they first reach out. I don't know if that question makes sense, but I'm wondering, are they apologetic? Are they angry? Are they curious? I, I wonder what their emotional makeup is when they first encounter your program. Uh, they're anxious and they're scared. They don't know who to trust with their information. They've been feeling something that's different that really, as we kind of talk about, is our systems are constantly on. So one of the things that actually helps to slow our system down is alcohol or other types of substances. And that works until it doesn't work or becomes a problem. And so what a lot of people that I talk to have done is they've gone to their general practitioner and said, hey, I'm not sleeping well and I'm not doing this or whatever, and they start getting medicated. And then that works for a while, and then it doesn't work for a while because we're still in the environment that is creating our systems to be on all the time. That has a totality where we're short-tempered, we, we um, relationships really is the number one issue, not only family-wise, but also work-related. And so when I meet with somebody, number one, I ask them, um, you know, how long has this been going on? Been going on for a while. What's worked? And a lot of times substances work to either slow their system down, calm them down, or get them to sleep, or remove the nightmares that they typically have from the critical events that Dr. Garcia mentioned for any of us frontline workers. And then really it's the hope. Is is there hope that this can change and get better? And I could go back to the person that I was where I wasn't hypervigilant, anxious, and, and, and uh, nervous or in, in general. Hmm. You know, he's a, the thing about hypervigilance. <laughs> hypervigilance is... Uh, a necessary aspect of the job. It's, it's uh, to be a first responder is to be hyper vigilant to be able to do your job, you know, uh, competently. And so, uh, when you're always on like that, like Dan is saying, that's where you know there can be that danger of crossing the border from being hyper vigilant to becoming suspicious, becoming paranoid, and uh, you know having a hard time trusting your environment. So then, what do we tell them? What do you, what do we, so what are we going to do about this? What do you say? Well, there's two big things. Uh, one, there's hope for change, if you're willing to do that. Many of the people as a first responder are very successful individuals, military backgrounds, um, EMS, doctors, nurses, firefighters, police officers. I mean, they're studs and studettes, as I say. Uh, very capable of doing anything. Those are the people you want on the front lines. To say that if I asked you to lift up a, 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 a gallon of water, most of them can do it. Now I'd say, okay, hold that gallon of water for a minute to two minutes. Oh, that becomes a struggle. Do that for 15 or 20 or 25 or 30 years, that has a fatiguing effect. So what we offer is that you didn't get here overnight. There is a plan and a method that we can help you with uh, becoming the person that you want to be. Uh, and that has, uh, and I won't necessarily list all, but a lot has to do with coping. And then 
the delivery of that needs to come from friendly faces, people we trust. Uh, and what Dr. Garcia mentioned is what we use in the Florian program is peer support. Peer support started back in the 1800s in, in Europe. It was mental health uh, clients who helped other people in the uh, sanitariums. And so what we're using is men and women in uniform service services that have had their own issues and have come out the other end and have hope and now give back, much like the 12 Steps. Do you give them homework? Do you say, okay, I hear you. Um, now here's what you need to do on your own or here's what you need to think about on your own? A combination of both. What uh, we're big fans of is also motivational interviewing is that if I gave somebody a axe or a pipe pole or, or, or a uh, uh, quick response bag, they could pretty much handle most things. I don't necessarily have to tell people what to do, but what I can ask them is what's worked in the past? What are you willing to try now? And let's talk about that and what that looks like. What do you say about that, Dr. Ray? Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd be surprised how much people already know. Um, it's it's about giving people permission to, you know, to use the skills that they may already have lurking in the background or that, uh, you know, they've forgotten to use or just feel like they don't have the permission to use. Well, this uh, sounds a little bit like what Amy Young was talking uh, about with us a little while ago, the director of nursing in a separate podcast. At Rosecrans, she's also a nurse practitioner. And while some of the things that you might be asked to do aren't all that surprising, what you really need is somebody to ask you to do them, to challenge you to do them, and to sort of you know set that little ship a sail. Is that a f- fair assessment on your part? Yes. And one of the things that many people in first responder world struggle with is they dispense medication, but they don't necessarily want to take it. And sometimes because of taking it, they don't want to take something that might affect their job. You're talking about the vaccine or are you talking about some other medication? Medications in general. And Dr. Garcia can speak to this is that I could remember a gentleman that was uh, um, in the in the Battle of Ramadi and 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 uh, dealing with PTSD and and um, uh, other issues and was adamant that I don't want to take something and then we kind of discussed the fact that well if uh, somebody's a diabetic they have to take insulin uh, and, and that's just natural people take vitamins to help with whatever deficiency they have so. Dr. Garcia is a person to kind of talk about, well, if there is certain imbalances, medication can help with that. Some can be very short-term and some may be longer-term. And just trying to educate them that it's not a bad thing if you take a supplement or medication. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and there's certainly concerns about what kinds of medications they might be offered. And uh, there are some medications that you know, maybe more of a concern because they don't want to be on a controlled substance or they can't be on a controlled substance depending on the job. And so we have to find alternatives. And uh, and there's a lot of fear uh, of the unknown of, oh, what's this doctor going to put me on? <laughs> Am I going to be a zombie? Am I going to be able to focus like I you know need to on the job? Yeah. And, you know, it seems to me like this conversation we've had so far, we could have had even if there had not been a pandemic. How did the pandemic change or I presume make worse the things that you all were encountering? Well, actually, when there is a crisis, crisis workers respond. I mean, that's what we get paid for. So to have that focus actually is a good thing. Again, two things is that there's always some sort of crisis. If you look at the city of Chicago, 
the murder rate has increased in downtown over 100% in the last year. Uh, that puts people on in, in, in hypersensitive mode and in, in natural uncomfortability. Now you have first responders that are uh, probably working with a staff that uh, of less, uh, with maybe less support from the community, and maybe also uh, the, the 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 relationship from upper management is strained just because of now COVID compliance and and uh, days off being uh, canceled and uh, relationships being strained because you're not home for. Uh, birthday parties and holidays and and can't go on vacation uh, that all has a totality again or you had a vacation planned and suddenly a big court case came down and suddenly everybody's vacation got canceled and you'd been planning on it for weeks and months and that happens in every news cycle we're recording this conversation now on the heels of both the kyle rittenhouse verdict and then also a terrible tragedy in Waukesha, Wisconsin, right. where all of a sudden somebody drove a vehicle, ran into a bunch of people, and you can imagine how all of a sudden the lives of the first responders, while this is what they do, are are, are changed. I, I just can't imagine what it would have been like to go from from scene to scene in some of these cases and then come home and try and have a normal life. Yeah, that transition it took me a while to understand many people think well you leave your job at 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 work and you come home but when you're traveling in especially the city of chicago and you're trying to get home and you're looking forward to get home with your wife and your and your kids there's still stuff there as well between traffic maybe working a side job cutting the lawn paying bills uh, somebody's at home sick school uh, buses aren't getting your kids to school, whatever it may be. And then I know for myself when I came home and the wife and kids wanted to see me, I didn't always respond the best because I had not really decompressed from work. Well, one last thing about this, and that is um, does the culture of the first responders and the uniform personnel embrace the idea that maybe you need to talk somebody that you need help or is there still a stigma attached to that you said a while ago the times have changed um have they changed completely or are the men and women out there somewhat resistant i think the answer to all those questions is yes uh it's definitely changed uh, it has has it changed completely no uh, it's a lot up to the individuals as well as the leadership too. The people that are at the top wearing the the the, the, the five bugles, the four stars, the, the the mayors, and so forth, and say, how can we help you? How can we how can we expect you to be out in the rain every single day and not get wet? I mean, that just that just doesn't work, right? And we are out in front. Everybody gets exposed to traumatic incidences. What happens with first responders is we're in a career that daily, as Dr. Garcia said, is an average law enforcement officer sees 188 critical incidences. And those are critical. Not incidences in general. I mean, they see thousands of that. We 
thrive on that. We want to have stuff going on. The reality, and and from a fun side of it, is that if we don't have something to do, then we start to eat our own young. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys are adrenaline junkies, it sounds like. Um, I mean, there must be some great challenge and reward. That job must be very satisfying when you're busy, as it were, and successful. Um, But I guess either you aren't always that or – Sometimes it must be the totality of that. I mean, just think about the different sorts of things that first responders had to consider in 2021 and 2020. It was just a whole other layer of of uh, complications, I would imagine, huh? Yeah, and what I would say is that uh, I don't want to speak negatively about administration or mayors or so forth because they get their information from other people as well is that it's a difficult time and then recognize that and if there is misinformation or better information it's kind of like we look at cpr in the 30 years i was in the chicago fire department we changed our tactics according to the red cross three times does that mean that the first way that we did it was not right no there's a better way to do it but it is a little bit of frustrate there's some frustration is we want to get it right um and that's I think don't condemn the first responders for questioning tactics when we want to get it right, especially after it's changed many times. Yeah, right. And I guess, um, Dr. Garcia, your comment on that is what? Um, it's okay to feel those feelings, uh, but, but don't bottle them up. You've got, to, you, you've got to put that somewhere. Right. I mean, we know what we know. We don't know what we don't know, and that's okay. I think, uh, you know, uh, and that can be frustrating, but... Uh, but that's okay too. Uh, I think, uh, like Dan says, I mean, everybody just wants to do a good job, and uh, you know, and sometimes we have to remind ourselves that that we're all trying. We're, you know, it's kind of a cliche, but we are all in this together. Yeah, no kidding. Well, then let's wrap this up this way because I think, especially having um, heard what you've been saying. Um, there's a population of people that say, okay, now what do I do? So I could call Rosecrans or I could call somebody else professionally who I trust who will hear me out. Uh, let's just give them some other uh, ideas. Uh, try and get a better night's rest without medication, um, exercise. I mean, doctor, what what sort of advice do you have for people if if they do feel like it's impacting their life? Absolutely. I think the most important thing is to reach out to someone. Um, you know, most uh, uh, firehouses and, uh, and even police uh, forces have a chaplain, even. Uh, reach out to somebody. Talk to somebody who can at least, uh, uh, you know, give you some first uh, uh, first words, uh, can listen to you a little bit, and then can, you know, point you in the right direction. Yeah. How about you, Dan? What do you say? Yeah, I echo exactly what Dr. Garcia said. There's no more frustrating thing is that if after i talked to somebody and they didn't know who to talk to and trust is you got to ask yourself do you have three people that you, you you trust and reach out to those people and just have a conversation the number one reason that people die in a line of duty in the in the fire service is a poor or lack of communication so uh, don't isolate yourself and when you feel like you're going to isolate yourself and you want to pull yourself in Find that one or two people that you can trust with uh, your information and have that conversation. And you don't have to have the answer for all that. We're not all experts in every way of life, right? That's why we have financial advisors. 
so uh, that will start the conversation and move forward to get directed to either peer support, an EAP, a chaplain, a psychiatrist, or Rosecrans. Uh, particularly the Florian program, because you're not just, you'll find a, a friendly face in every department there, a sympathetic, a professional voice and ear in every department there, but somebody who is specifically relates to what you were going through in your line of work. Uh, that sounds really helpful to me. Yeah, it's inviting. As uh, We have a chaplain that spent eight years in the, in the military, in the Army. We have a staff that was uh, Air Force vet, uh, myself, 30 years in the fire service. We uh, had, don't presently, we had a police officer. Um, we have nurses. Uh, we have family members of the first responders. So we have somebody that you can connect uh, to and with. And then we also uh, have peer supporters that come in, and we do virtual stuff. So, But as Dr. Garcia said, is that we, we don't know what we don't know. Um, we know that the, 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 the greatest need for us is, is hope and connection. And the people that we have at Rosecrans and the Florian Program create that connection, and thereby then that hope. Well, I think we could end it there, Doctor. Anything else you want to add to this conversation? Um, no, I, I think uh, it's the message is clear. Reach out and ask for help. You know, silence is the real killer, I think, when it comes to mental health and substance use. This is On Your Radar, Frontline Workers and the Impact of COVID-19, a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, Northern and Central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Go to rosecrans.org or call 866-830-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans. Life's waiting. Life's waiting.